As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I think we live in a world where it's very like you're this or you're that or you're labor, you're, you're conservative and you're, yeah. the nuance is gone. Um, and actually, when we really dig deep into who we are, mm -hmm. we're very layered. We're very interesting. We're very complex. Mm -hmm. I genuinely believe like I was just, you know, God put me on this earth to play football. Like I, no one sat me down and taught me how to play football. I was probably earning more money from 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 the legal career than I Well, not probably I was. Okay. earning more money from from law than I was uh football you know I started 100 pound a week because kind of I had this insecurity about football yeah. I I I I was saving okay you know I was sort of like you know almost saving for a rainy day my first professional contract with Chelsea was 2013 three years later I bought my house my first house okay. I'm really big on property I, I like property investment one of the things that I like now is the idea of conversion converting properties okay. i want to be part of a sort of a movement really that retains resources in africa and we start producing more in africa if you build your own table you get to invite who you want to that table it was one of those things like if i don't do this it's i'm probably going to regret it and it was an opportunity to really build something from scratch uh, build a football club from scratch which yeah. really doesn't exist you up on it at uh, the last world cup 2022. What was the atmosphere like for you when, whilst you were out there? Welcome to the Takeoff Experience where I sit down with highly driven people to talk about their journey, their failures and their successes. If you want to take off in your career, your business, your finances or your mindset, then this podcast is for you. This episode is sponsored by Money Hub, a secure money management app that helps you to manage your money with ease. The Money Hub app provides you with a single view of all your accounts by letting you connect your bank accounts, your savings accounts, investment accounts, your credit cards, all in one place. To help with your money goals, Money Hub has features that allows you to track your incomings versus your outgoings every single month and also allows you to set and track your spending budgets every single month too. It's a fantastic app, right? Well, you can download the Money Hub app for free by tapping the link in my description. You can use the Money Hub app free for six months with no auto renewal. And if you really like the app, then you can continue using it for only £1.49p per month. It's a deal of the century, right? Well, make sure to go and download the app right now. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to the Takeoff Experience. We have a special guest in the building, Annie Luco, here today. Uh, she's a football executive, commentator, and former England and Chelsea football star. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Awesome, amazing. So who would you describe yourself as, Annie? Oh, that's a very layered question. Mm -hmm. 
but what I would say is that I'm not one thing. Like uh, you know, I, I would call I would say I'm I'm what I call a hyphen. You know, okay. there's many aspects to me. You know, obviously I, I I love football. I've played football since I was five years old. Um, so obviously former professional footballer. Football was very much my life. Um, now I'm a you know football pundit. Not not necessarily a commentator that's a bit of a different field okay um maybe co-commentator soon and and football pundit um as you said a a football executive um and you know i'm really interested in so many other areas of life as well i love traveling okay i love the arts i love fashion um music um really big on my family and friends like spending time with them so there's lots to to me i think that yeah, hopefully it's interesting to talk about on a podcast. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> sure it would be. Um, but I wanted to take it back a little bit, talk about your story. I know I know where your parents are from, but if for the listeners, watchers that don't know where, where your parents are from. So my parents are both Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm wearing green today. Okay, green, <laughs> cool, so cool. Not deliberately. I mean, I was yeah. just, I just noticed I was wearing green. Um, yeah, so both my parents are Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Yoruba to be specific. Okay, so cool. Eniola Luko is... is for, for the Yoruba listeners is probably quite a typical uh, Nigerian name. Recently, actually, yeah, like oh, Aluko apparently is a bit like Smith. Like, really? I was a bit guarded about that. Okay. No, like, <laughs> it's a common. <laughs> I say it's common. Uh, it's, it means Kingfisher in, in, in Yoruba. Yeah. And Eniola is, um, it means a woman of dignity and wealth. Okay. Um, and yeah, Eniola is uh, like a genderless name. So there's guys that are called Eniola. And there's girls that are called Eniola. So that's true. Um, yeah, I, I really love uh, my Nigerian roots, and mm-hmm. I really I've leaned into it quite a lot actually since probably since uni. Yeah. Um, as an England player, you know, from youth, that was quite a difficult journey for me. Like mm. I felt like I had to be like, yeah, England, you know, and mm. and and I was, but the reality is, is that I was never really fully seen as English. Um, but I think one of the things that has kind of developed and evolved has this idea of what British is. And I very much see myself as British Nigerian and, and, and that's fine. Like you can be both, you know? Um, and it's a concept that I'm, I'm developing as a brand. Um, Brit Nigerian, Brit Nigerian, Brit Ghanaian, um, you know, my agent, my manager is Ukrainian American. Like, so the, my brand hyphen, which I will be you know, talking about a little bit and releasing later on this year mm-hmm. is all about celebrating the the, the different layers to who we are. Yeah. You know, I think we live in a world where it's very like you're this or you're that or you're label, you're, you're conservative and you're, yeah. the nuance has gone. Um, and actually when we really dig deep into who we are, mm-hmm. we're very layered, we're very interesting, we're very complex. Mm-hmm. You know, one minute you're crying, next minute you're dancing. That's you true. know, so it's about... You know, hyphen is about all the connecting things that make us who we are, and um, I'm very passionate about it. I like that, and um, I like the fact that you said Brit Nigerian. I, I would classify myself as a Brit Nigerian and Brit Sierra Leonean in a in a okay, in a, yeah, in a, in that a works. Way. That works. Um, you moved to Birmingham as yeah. well, right? Yes. Yeah. When I was I, very young. Yeah, when you were very young, and um, did you grow up in Birmingham? I did, yeah, you yeah. Grew up most, grew up in, mo- most of your life in there. South yeah. Birmingham. So yeah. for the Brummies listening, I'm from Kings Norton. I grew up on a like council estate, okay. playing football with all the boys, okay. and 
um, dribbling, you know, dribbling around the boys on uneven like hills and mm. coke cans, and you know, and it was great. Like I had a great childhood in Birmingham, mm-hmm. um, and you know, football was very much part of my identity what mm. was a positive identity for me I, I was kind of known as the girl that plays football and yeah um my brother who's two years younger than me and he's also a professional footballer Shawnee he you know I grew up playing with him and you know we used to be really skillful and um so yeah we we, we had a lot of joy through football and um yeah I've got really great memories of Birmingham and um yeah all the all the things that Birmingham's about yeah. What what was it about football that like, you know, yeah, that's what I want to do. I, I I really like this. Honestly, generally without being too like well, actually no, I, I don't care. Like <laughs> I genuinely believe like I was just, you know, God put me on this earth to play football. Like I no one sat me down and taught me how to play football. Mm-hmm. Um like my dad played football and he was very good, but he never kind of made it a career. Mm. So genetically, I probably got it from him. Okay. But f- as early as I can remember, I watched football and I was obsessed with football. Yeah. And so it was just, it's just part of me. It's like in my blood, it's it's part of my existence. And, you know, I wasn't, no one forced me. It was like, I genuinely believe it's what I w- I'm, I'm here to sort of be part of. Um, mm. Because everything that's been good in my life, um has come from football okay that's great that's fantastic i'm wondering because a lot of people enjoy football like football but to actually take it seriously as a career when did that kind of happen when was when was that for you well women's football is a little bit different Mm. because women's football for it for the longest time was like a hobby um and there was no like pathway to become a pro um, there was not really any even academies really um, or like proper setups to really aspire to be part of. So I just kind of played in school and um, there was an England setup. So I got into the England setup when I was 14. Okay. And yeah. that was probably when it started getting quite serious because, you know, you travel with England and you go away. But it was hard because when you came back, the club setup, there was not really a professional league or whatever. So, um it, it it kind of got serious with England, but then I couldn't really look forward and call it a full-time job or aspire to be a professional footballer because it didn't really exist in this country until sort of late, my late 20s, no, early 20s, really. Um, so I went to America when I was 21 after uni and became a professional then in America. And then right. it was only when I came back uh, in 2012 that for the first time I could call myself a professional footballer but at that point I was already on the path to becoming a lawyer so I had to juggle one professional career with another one and um, so my pathway is very different to like my brothers who from the age of probably 12 he was mm-hmm. at Birmingham he was you know what they call a YTS um, so his sort of youth system you know they gave him a contract he went on loan to Aberdeen and his professional career started um and obviously he was earning good money from quite a young age whereas I had to kind of go a different path yeah I was probably earning more money from 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 the legal career than I well not probably I was earning more money from from law than I was uh football you know I started 100 pound a week 
at Charlton. And and I thought I was cool at the time. You know, I was like, <laughs> all right, you know, it, I can buy my trainers and yeah. um, a little pocket money here and there. Um, it was all relative. You know what I mean? I was never like bitter. I, you know, it was what it was because I was playing football at the end of the day. Wow. That's insane. The, there's a few uh, questions, follow up questions I had. Uh, so, yeah, I noticed that you you said that you uh, were studying and you, you actually graduated in law. I think I remember yes. reading first degree. Yeah, I got a first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you actually go through the law career like completely? Yeah, like... yeah. So, um, so obviously I went uni, went to Brunel. Shout out Brunel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good uni. And uh, really enjoyed studying law. Um, but again, at that point, I was pretty, you know, semi-pro playing for Charlton, and then I moved to Chelsea for a year. So I didn't really have the uni experience. Like I wasn't going out raving. Yeah. Um, I was in the library a lot. And I had to catch up a lot because I'd be training or I'd be in the gym and I'd have to like do a program, you know, uh, physical program. And law's hard, like, mm. you know, studying law's hard. So I had to really knuckle down. Um, and once I, I graduated uh, and, you know, worked really hard and obviously got a first, and which I was very proud of, um, I was then obviously on the legal path and then, I did what you call a uh, legal practice course, which everybody has to do. Um, and then I started training with a with a firm, um, with, with two firms actually that specialized in sports and entertainment law. So quite, pretty early on, I knew I wanted to go into sports and entertainment. And um, yeah, I started on that path. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go to America and, and play pro, which was always gonna be a priority for me if, mm. if I had the opportunity to, to play pro. But what happened with the law thing was that I was able to say, well, if I'm going to give up my legal career to play football, you kind of have to match my salary right. as, as, as a trainee lawyer. And, and that sort of was a, almost like a foundation for me to sort of build my um, sort of my financial health, really. Okay. Um, because I started off as a lawyer and then was able to say, well, I can't really give this up unless you match at least what I would be paid as a lawyer. So that helped okay. a lot. Okay. Wow. How did those conversations go? Like, how did you find? Fine. Yeah, they, they, well, they yeah. weren't hard at yeah. all because okay. obviously as a footballer, you yeah. know, the team wants you. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, I was good at football. And actually the the, the first the team that I, I went to America for, a team called St. Louis Athletica, the owner was a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So okay. it was a godsend really because he said to me, why don't you come play for me seven months out of the year? I think so, seven month season. And then the other five months work in my firm. So right. in essence, both of my careers kind of started at the same time in terms of professional, you know, uh, obviously what's playing as a professional footballer yeah. and then uh, working as a lawyer. And for those that know, obviously in the legal, in the legal profession, it's very competitive. It's very difficult to get like a training contract or a job straight out of uni. Mm -hmm. So it was godsend really that that happened. Um, so it wasn't a difficult conversation at all. It was actually something that he kind of sold to me. Yeah. Um, and wow. which then helped me put that on my CV. And then I came back to England and was able to move to another firm, et cetera. Wow. So, so after you did that, you actually came back and you continued with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean, wow. for me, it was like, I was already on the path of balancing both law and football anyway. So okay. then it was about, okay, well, until like I can actually properly take football seriously as a professional career in England, 
I'm going to keep doing this law thing mm-hmm. um, because I was working at really good firms. I was in a really interesting area. So I trained um, at a sports and entertainment firm and all of my training areas were like divorce, celebrity divorce law, um, like litigation cases between like, you know, comedians and entertainers, uh, like big cases. I I worked on the hacking inquiry um, where, you know, news of the world were hacking phones, like really kind of interesting areas of law. So at the time I was like, this is great. You yeah. know, I'm whatever happens, I'll be all right because I'm developing in areas that are really interesting and I'm growing in. So, yeah. and then obviously post Olympics 2012, women's football really blew up. Yeah. And then Chelsea offered me my first co- uh, professional contract. Okay. But again, I was able to go in and say, well, I'm giving up a really good job and a really good pathway. So, you know, this is minimum really what, you know, I should be getting. And um, they were absolutely fine about it. And I stayed at Chelsea for seven years and yeah. loved every minute of it. Yeah, I'll, I wanted to uh, ask actually, because you, you mentioned after Olympics, that's when, um, not that it got taken seriously, but financially, women's football was getting a bit more supported. Is it, did it happen after that time, after the Olympics? Yeah, so after the Olympics, Olympics, 2012 Olympics obviously was in London. Yeah. And women's football opened the Olympics. Okay. So I think by virtue of that, it exposed women's football to a much wider yeah. audience than had been ever exposed before. Okay. And I think people really respected the game a lot more and were thinking, oh, like, wow, like this is women's football. These girls can play. And so... You know, we we started to see shifts in terms of the media, in terms of brands getting involved, in terms of broadcasting. And um, I, I guess the big clubs like Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City, who, by the way, all copy each other. You know, if one if one does a women's team, I mean, I have to say Arsenal were probably the most the leaders in, of course. in, you know, of course, yeah. <laughs> enjoy that moment while you can. Um, but yeah, to be fair, Arsenal were always sort of the first hmm. out of the gate in terms of their women's team. But it took a while for others to catch up. Um, but post-Olympics, Arsenal, Man City, you know, um, Chelsea, and then Man United followed. And then, yeah. you know, so that's when, you know, serious serious contracts came in. We were training at the training grounds of the men's teams. Like, all of these things, I was like, okay, now it's worth it to, to like, put, all, put most of my eggs in this basket. Okay, cool. And, you know, I was wondering... For, do you do you know for some of your colleagues that may because you were kind of quite fortunate that you were able to have like a dual career and support yourself until it kind of got serious um for other for other people were they also doing other things as well yeah to, to yeah, support themselves for sure yeah. yeah so I had a teammate that was um working in banking okay um, wow. have had teammates who um like was training to be physios and like more sports related work students obviously um yeah like we did have to be creative as as female players okay um, wow because again like for a long time we didn't really have like certainty certainly financial certainty to say right this is what I'm going to do for the next you know however many years of my life I'm really glad now that's changed now that you have young girls growing up who can say I want to be of England footballer I want to play for Chelsea one day and be a pro right and so on that pathway they can make certain decisions to prioritize that yeah 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 
That's so cool. I'm I'm glad that is is evolved the way it is. Yeah, is, me is, too. Is, is evolved a lot. Um, I had a question actually for you because at Chelsea you won numerous titles, right? Yeah. So I wanted to understand what was the culture like during that time in terms from like a mentality point of view. Oh, like Chelsea was um, unapologetically about winning. Okay. And it was all obviously led by Emma Hayes, who's the who's the sort of head coach who's been there for ten years now. Um, she, you know, she was a winner. She wanted to win, but it in the wider context of Chelsea, Chelsea is a club, well, certainly under Roman Abramovich, the former owner, that they were just ruthlessly about winning. Like when you drove through the the gates at Cobham, there's no other discussion. Like we're here to win. Do you know what I mean? And they make decisions based on that. And I like that, you know what I mean? Because okay. it's very clear, you know, yeah. and, and it, it's very aspirational. It's, you know, you play to win, you train to win, um, you know, and it, it brought the best out of me as a player. Um, I think that shifted slightly. I, I mean, obviously everybody wants to win, but I think with the new owners now, they've probably brought in a more long-term approach in terms of buying younger players, um, and and I think the mindset shift might have to change a little bit in terms of the fans because for 15 years, Chelsea have been about winning. Yeah, You know, Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte, these guys won the league and, you know, Thomas Tuchel won the Champions League, Roberto Matteo won the Champions League. Like, these guys did it and won it. And, yeah. you know, so I... And, and I've taken that into other areas of my life as well in terms of, like... If you're gonna set out to do something, do it. Yeah. Do it as best as you can and, and try and win in, in whatever, you know, in whatever you're doing. Yeah. I wonder where does that mentality come from? Because not everybody has that mentality, right? And it's it's always well, fascinating yeah. to meet somebody who's actually, you know, gone to the highest level and has achieved so much. Well, yeah, I mean, by virtue of like only one person or team can win, right? So um someone's gonna lose. Uh on the way to winning, someone's going to fail. It doesn't mean they're not good enough or they're not as good. It just means that at that moment in time, failure was for them. And yeah. failure is a huge part of, of of winning. You know, like, yes, I'm at one multiple trophies at, at Chelsea, but I, I failed many times too. And, you know, as a team, as an individual. Um, so I'm not somebody that's like, if I don't win, I'm worthless. You know, I, I kind of enjoy the journey and, and I try and take as much out of failure as well. And I think yeah. that's really important to, to 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 talk about and say because it is really not a linear, like, journey. You know, there's a lot of failure. There's a lot of disappointment, um, setbacks. There's a lot of questioning yourself mm. um, on the way to winning. But if you sort of keep that resilient pursuit, um, you get your re rewards in the end. Yeah. Amazing. Do you feel like you made any sacrifices? Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, my whole career really, like, yeah. if you look at it, like, I've missed so many birthdays, mm. weddings, funerals, you know, special moments with friends and people. And I always think now, like, I really appreciate my close-knit friends and family because a lot of the time, like, you've got to be like, oh, no, I'm playing a game. And yeah. they kind of have to, like, accept that. Um, relationships like it's really hard to mm. have relationships you know doing what I do because you're quite selfish you have to kind of you know make decisions based on your career and um, so yeah there's tons of sacrifices and actually when I retired 
Mm. I was very like big on clawing all of that back. Right. So like. Couldn't claw- be happier. Yeah. Like clawing <laughs> time back. Yeah. Like spending time with family. Spending time with friends. Like on a weekend going out for a drink and not feeling guilty about it. And you know going out for nice meals. Traveling and not just seeing a football pitch in a hotel. Like actually traveling and seeing like different cultures yeah. and stuff. So you do claw all of that time back when you retire, but um, you've got to be quite conscious about that. Yeah, yeah, wow. Wow, it's, it's, it's always, it's always, it's always um, so interesting. What would you say is like the most proudest moment of your time as a footballer? Proudest moment of my career is uh, probably winning the FA Cup. Um, yeah, probably, win- yeah, winning the FA Cup with Chelsea. It's so hard to pick because... I I hate picking because I'm proud of it all. But um, I remember the feeling when we won the FA Cup at Wembley with Chelsea and I was crying tears of joy. I was so happy. Um, and it was like something broke. Like it was like a deadlock had broken for all of us. But particularly for me in my head, like there was a lot of near misses leading up to that point, And I was so desperate to win that day. And I didn't actually enjoy it that much because I was so kind of like um, anxious to win. Um, I had a lot of anxiety that day, um, but we did it. And, I, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate was that I did it with like friends mm-hmm. that like I can actually call like friends like post retirement. I still hang out with a lot of the girls yeah. that the well, some of the girls that um we won together that day. So you kind of bond you together yeah. for a long time. So if I had to pick, that would be the day. It was probably one of the best days of my life. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, and then when you retired, you went into becoming a sporting director, right? Yes. How, how, how was that? How does that differ to, you know, the day to day of being a footballer? What was that? What was like the differences in responsibilities? Yeah. So, um, I've I've obviously always been somebody that wanted to kind of stay educated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just really healthy. Whoever you are, just like yeah. keep learning and you know in what you're interested in. So, um, probably about two, yeah two years before I retired, I started a masters, and it was UEFA masters mm-hmm. to become a sporting director. I knew, based on what I just said about sacrifices and time and stuff, I knew I didn't want to go into coaching. I felt like it was too close to playing and kind of have to be on the pitch and and I felt like the sporting director role was a little bit more removed um it kind of tied into my work as a lawyer um so it kind of fit what I wanted to do in the game and so I did that masters it was really great like I connected and it was a huge network and lots of people um and yeah and then sort of off the back of that um I got an offer to become a sporting director at, at Villa. Okay, wow. The first sporting director at Villa. And obviously that was back in Birmingham and there was a link to me being from Birmingham. And um, so that actually was probably the thing that made me go, okay, now's the right moment to retire. Cause I probably could have played on. I retired at 33, okay. which a lot of people say is young. Um, and it probably is young actually. Cause I was probably fitter at 33 at Juventus than I was at 25. Like <laughs> they were mad about fitness. Like. So I could have played on, but I felt like that was the right time to move into the next phase of my life. And yeah, it was it was very much a job that I, you know, I really felt like I could do. I had the knowledge and the skill set to do. Um, but it was my first day was 
uh, March 2020. So the pandemic had hit proper, proper. Wow. So we had game cancellations. We had to have COVID testing, like all of these things that no one had ever dealt with before. Yeah. I was dealing with in my first week in the job. Wow. So it was like, okay, masters was out the window. Like, so, but I'm grateful for it because, you know, it's all experience that taught me a lot and, yeah. um, you know, made me a better executive, if you like. And um, obviously lots of mistakes made and, you know, um, lots of growth in, in that in that field. Amazing. Amazing. And at what point did Hyphen come in? So Hyphen is inspired by my book. So okay. I, I released a book in 2019. Um which really was a, it was a football autobiography, but it was a slightly different in the sense that I didn't really want to write a book about, oh, look how great I am as a footballer. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I scored this great goal. I wanted to write a book about some of the issues that I've dealt with that other people deal with, but from a footballer's perspective. So I wanted to write a book about like identity, race, you know, women in sport, you know, being in male dominated environments, like friendship, failure, success, like some of these issues that are not easy topics, but from a footballer's perspective. Um, and so one of the chapters was called Embrace the Hyphen. And Embrace the Hyphen is all about embracing, was all about embracing the sort of British and Nigerian sides of myself. The Nigerian side, which I kind of probably suppressed a little bit because I felt like I had to be like this England yeah you know, patriot, which I am, I'm passionate about England, but there's so many different sides to me as well. So when I wrote the book, uh, I got a really great response from that, from that chapter. And a lot of people felt like they can relate. And I thought, oh, there's something in this, there's a community in this. And so um, it's kind of been in my mind for the last three years. I haven't really had the bandwidth to really kind of, okay. um, but 2023, watch this space. It's, um, it's coming, it's okay. coming. Amazing, amazing. A question I had for you, uh, you know, because you've gone through this as, as as a footballer in terms of like finances, right? Were you ever like advised on, you know, because, you know, typically I guess a footballer's career, let's say they start like 18 and let's say they retire, say for, that's what, 14, 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. I guess maybe compared to somebody else, maybe they're retiring at 65. Yeah. Were you ever advised of how, how to manage your money or? No. Yeah. Do you know what? It's um it's a great question because it's a real area for me that it's it's kind of like this like blank space in the game where a lot of players have advisors, agents, you know, sort of additional service if if you want to call it, that um you either find a really good one or, or you find people that want to exploit you. Most of the time, there's a lot of people that want to exploit you. Now, there's obviously services like the Professional Footballers Association, um, who I've worked with very closely, who are great with me. Um, but those really aren't conversations that a lot of footballers think they can have. Um, and I think it's something that needs to be talked about a little bit more because... Imagine if for every time a player went and bought a Bentley for, I don't know, 250 grand or however much yeah. Bentley is, they had someone telling them, yeah, 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 cool, enjoy your life, drive that Bentley, but make sure you're saving 100 grand for a property investment or something else. I think that you will get less players retiring and you'd hear less stories about bankruptcy and, you know, all oh, these players living beyond, you know, higher than their means and all of these things. So... 
I, I do think it's an area that like you shouldn't start talking about when you're retiring. It's something that should just be part of, you know, the the everyday experience as a footballer because it is you do retire early. Yeah. You know, most people's careers are starting like not starting, but most people's careers are kind of evolving and taking off in their early 30s. Most footballers are thinking about winding down yeah. in their early 30s. And the way football is set up from a finance point of view, clubs start looking at you as a depreciating asset come 30. I don't really understand it because the physical body Weird. is quite defiant and mm. you get people like Ronaldo mm. or, you know, um, Ibrahimovic, yeah. who... Ibrahimovic is probably a bad idea because he's always injured. But like you get people like Ronaldo who are mm. 37 who look better than yeah. most people who are in shape. But football does view it that way. Like your contract's not going to be as good at 30 than it was at 25. Um, so even from that perspective, clubs financially look at it that way. They don't see you as an investment anymore. So I do think it needs to be more of a like, you know, um, uh, yeah, more of a sort of obvious conversation that, that players have. Yeah. I wonder for you, how did you deal with the transition from like a money perspective for yourself? Was it that, is it because you decided to take on roles so that that was able for you to, maybe you didn't see too much of a change? Because I guess some footballers, maybe they, they're not transitioning to something else, per se. Um, yeah, I think for me, maybe I was a little bit lucky because I was working as a lawyer early on yeah and so i had exposure to decent salaries you know the sort of average salary in london if you're a trainee lawyer is probably about 50 grand right yeah. upwards of 50 grand depending on what firm you work for a lot of my friends went on to magic what you call magic circle firms which you know starting salary could be 80 grand plus it's a very good salary in in london so um i kind of had a base where i could i was exposed to that kind of salary early on and because kind of I had this insecurity about football, yeah. I, I I I was saving. Okay. You know, I was sort of like, you know, almost saving for a rainy day because I didn't really know. Very smart. You know, <laughs> I mean, you say it's smart, but yeah. it's like it's standard. It should be like it should be you know standard, it should be a yeah. standard thing that we yeah. do. Um, and you know, obviously, I treated myself. You know, I'm not one that's going to be like, oh, don't you know, don't go and buy a nice pair of trainers or a nice pair of shoes or whatever, but you you know you have to you have to save and be smart about your money um so i was already always already saving um from sort of my legal stuff and then when i dropped that and became a footballer that was already part of okay. you know so really my first professional contract with chelsea was 2013 3 years later i bought my house my first house okay. So again, in those three years, that's what my focus was. Like, I really want to buy a house. I was renting at the time in three, three years. Um, so that was kind of like how I started out. But for someone who, you know, doesn't have that background, I would just say like, have a kind of rule in your mind of like, you know, hold back 10% of what you earn, mm. hold back 20% of what you earn. And that will accumulate. And whatever you want to invest that in, you know, invest in obviously property is probably the, you know, the best example. You know, most people want to own a property at some point rather than sort of pay somebody else's rent, uh, pay rent and pay somebody else's mortgage. Um, but it's obviously not that easy. Yeah. Um, 
So you've got to be patient with yourself and kind of give yourself time to do that. But if you accumulate over time, um, you will get there. You know, yeah. that's kind of been my, that was my experience. Because again, like the salaries in women's football are not anywhere near what they are in the men's game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was kind of how I, you know, how I kind of got on the property ladder and 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 sort of treated my 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 finances. You know what I'm, what I find so fascinating is the fact that you actually got a property. Not to say that footballers get a property, or not, I don't know that, but I, I find it fascinating that you actually did. And you also say, said that you had a rainy day fund, which is well, the, you, like you said, is is well, it the, should be normal, but it's not. Well, it's the not rainy normal. day the rainy yeah. day fund was my deposit for my house okay like you know once i put the deposit down i said oh this yeah. <laughs> times are tough yeah. you know like it was then like okay like all my money's gone yeah. into this house that i've been saving for years which like it's fine because again i was on a salary so you know I, you know that was just going to continue funding my life but I had to put all of those savings into a deposit for a house, which we all know in London is hard. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously different schemes now in terms of help to buy and um, things like affordable housing or things like that. But, um, you know, I I bought near near the training ground, you know, in West London, which is, you know, it's not cheap. No, this is definitely <laughs> um, not. <laughs> so I thank God I was able to kind of, you know, invest in that. But it, it was tough. You know, it was, it, it, it pinched yeah it pinched a little bit um but yeah like i said it's about making sure that you you know hold a little bit back for for whatever it is that you feel you, you know is important um always have investment in mind yeah i would say yeah and are you invested yourself personally in other other things so? Yeah, so I'm really I'm really big on property. I, I like property investment. One of the things that I like now is the idea of conversion converting property. Okay. So making something into something multiple. So, you know, commercial for example, taking a commercial property and making it multiple dwellings. I, I really like that. I like character properties that are able to do that. So something with a bit of history. Um so if I see an old church that is yeah. on the market like that will get my eye quicker than you know a new development because it's got character and history so I, i'm i'm big on property development and my mom from a young age i was exposed to that because my mom was big my mom you know invested in property when she could okay nice. um so she's kind of passed that down to, to us as kids um Stocks, I, I, I'm still trying to learn. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still trying to it's, understand. It's, it's, it's not, it's not simple. Um, you Index know, some, are better. <laughs> some of my friends are telling me about crypto, and I'm like, yo, I'm yeah, just no, about no, understanding no. just the basic stock yeah. market. So the crypto thing, I stayed well away. Yeah. Um, I actually, I collect art. Oh. Um, I collect art, so I've got a really good, well, in my opinion, I've really got got a good art collection. Okay. It's mostly African art. Okay. How do you find that? The find the African arts? Where 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 about Well, I mean well, when I travel, so okay. um I've been traveling back and forth to Africa, different countries in Africa probably about the last five years. Again, that was something I was kind of big on post retirement. Um so obviously Nigeria, I've been to Kenya twice on safaris, Uganda, South Africa, um Botswana, Ghana. And those different places, I will buy African art. Right. 
um, from either a, a, a well-known artist or a local artist. And there's a market for that, like, you know, and it holds value. Um, or there's other art that also, I, you know, uh, I just bought a really amazing piece of the queen um, that was kind of a cultural take on the queen. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like that's, you know, that's a piece that I think could hold value depending yeah. on how many of them they are. So that's an area that I, um, you know, I collect for myself, but, you know, I will potentially sell one to get another one. And, and so I think that's a market that I, I'm definitely interested in. And the last one is, is kind of quirky, but I collect chess pieces, chess boards. Chess boards? Yeah, I collect chess boards. So okay. I started playing chess about two years ago. And um, I really love chess. Like I love kind of just the calmness of it. Like I've got a very busy mind. And so chess for me, like calms me down, makes me think, makes me think strategy. And chess is so historic. Like it's such a historical game. And there's been so many artistic takes on a chessboard. Yeah. Um, so I just bought a chessboard that was all um, African village leaders. And it's dope. Like yeah, it's that so that that is dope. that sounds really dope. Yeah, um, it's really dope, and it's like hand hand carved. Um, and the, the the guy that designs it actually is, he's quite a well known stylist. Okay. So just super artistic, super creative. Wow. And um, I saw it, and I was like, I have to buy this. Mm -hmm. And again, it was an investment. Like it wasn't cheap, but that's there's only like a few of them in the world. Yeah. Um, I've got another chess piece that kind of sits in my living room. That's like a marble um chess table so again that's something that potentially you know i can exchange and sell i, I don't know if there's a market for it <laughs> maybe if you hold on to it i right? think that that kind of sits within the arts so yeah that those are kind of quirky things that i i think hold value and i've just recently started learning about gold okay gold nice. is another area that another commodity that um is African, you know, is an African commodity that I think holds a lot of value. Yeah. Um, that obviously, you know, I wear gold and um, I, generally I think I'm passionate about African commodities mm -hmm. and things that can be, well, typically have been extracted from Africa. Um, and I'm trying to, I, I want to be part of a sort of a movement really that retains resources in Africa and we start producing more in Africa. That would be nice, right? So, like, you see how <laughs> yeah. we just take it for granted that it has made in China or, yeah. you know, now is a lot made in Portugal. I would love in the next 10 years to see made in Africa a lot more because I think there's an extraction culture that, you know, is, is part of industries, but I think we need to retain and produce. So, yeah, all of those things I'm, I'm always thinking about in terms of wow. business and investment and yeah. creation and all wow. of those things. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I wanted to land on the property and actually a bit more on art if you, if, uh, if we can. On the property, so, so you said that you like doing conversions, right? Is there like particular areas in the UK that you do you like or is it just anywhere that you... Well, I'm still you? trying to figure it out. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm a learner, man. Like, I listen I to um, Annual Leisure. It's a good, yeah. it's a good yeah. podcast for anyone that sort of wants to get into the nitty gritty and get gems, um, you know, get gems about property investment and investment in general. I think they're really good, although it's quite American focused. Um, they came, they came to the UK recently yeah. and, I, and I, I'm not sure they, 
they got their audience right, but yeah. um, they're really good. Um, obviously, London for me is, I don't think you can go wrong. That's true. Um, I'm not an expert. I'm not sitting here as an expert, so maybe you can go wrong, but it's, you know, there's so many areas of London that um, are sort of hotbeds really for renting. Um, one of the things that I think people often think is that you've got to buy a property, do it up and then flip it and sell it. Actually, the rental market, there's something to be said for just letting a property yeah. sit have it for rent and then let the capital appreciate. Um, there's so many areas that you can, you know, you can do that. So definitely London, the student cities. So obviously I'm, uh, you know, I um, have invested in Birmingham as well. Okay. Um, that's a huge student market. So student properties that are HMOs, obviously rental, rental value is high because you can have five, six people in a property and it's almost having like, individual rent you know individual dwellings within one house so that's something i i, I did quite early and because it's birmingham i was like you know okay um, wow you got in early before the yeah the people talking about yeah, uh, hs2s yeah, yeah it's quite saturated yeah. now but yeah so i would always say like look at student properties if that's something that you want to get into in terms of like you know yielding rent and and what are relatively cheap properties actually to buy because some yeah. of these places are quite run down these student yeah. properties and you can kind of do it up to a certain level um so like cities like bristol liverpool birmingham like you will always have students in those cities yeah um because there's such good schools good, good schools out there yeah i wanted to i wanted to actually ask this question even though you you kind of had a law career and a football career i feel like you still had an element of freedom compared to maybe like a person that's maybe working a corporate job in a way would you say it's fair to say post your football career that I guess how how did you navigate that I guess post football career was it just like okay left football career uh, sporting director job or was it left football career and then started started businesses I guess after that I think I've always been a bit of a hyphen you know yeah. like even when like I was playing if I'd finished training at one, I'd go to a conference or I'd go to like an event or I'd go and have a meeting with, I don't know, a lawyer or, or I'd do something to like continue my development off the pitch. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot more time, I think, than probably the average person because, you know, we're training, you know, nine till one o'clock, nine till two o'clock. Um, and you've got more hours in the day to do something else. Um, so I was always like that, even when I yeah. played. And so that just can, kind of continued into, well, that kind of set me up really for, you know, post-career. And it's something I'm, you know, I don't think you can ever have enough conversations with footballers about this, where it's like, rather than going home and sitting on your PlayStation every day, I mean, mm -hmm. respect if you, if you like a PlayStation, but... If that's all you do, I don't think that's the best use of time. Because the thing is about football is like everybody wants to talk to you. True. It's a real door opener and it's a real icebreaker. Um, so you can really like use that to do anything you want. You know, if you're a you play for Chelsea or Arsenal or any club really, and and you're known man or woman, like you'll be surprised how many doors 
you know, that open or the, the amount of freebies or free invites or guest lists that you yeah. can get on yeah. just by the fact you like kick ball. Yeah. You know, so like capitalize on that um, because you'll be surprised when you're retired, it, people forget about you quickly. Yeah. You know, unless you obviously stay, you know, stay within the industry, it's quite fickle. So utilize it, build a network, you know, um, yeah, use the fact that, you know, it's such an icebreaker and it's such a um, door opener um, to, to your benefit. Use that time as much as you can. Yeah. What are you trying to achieve outside of football for yourself? We mentioned property, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not it's not necessarily, um, there's not sort of like one area per se that um, I, I want to achieve, but I think that for me, generally, sort of as an umbrella, I'm really passionate about ownership and um, sort of building our own tables to use a, to use a, I suppose, an analogy that I think Beyonce said it, you know, if you build your own table, you get to invite who you want to that table. Often we are part of other people's tables yeah. and that's fine. You know, that's the employment world or, you know, that's life. You you can't do everything alone. But particularly for the black community, I think it's really important to own your own podcasts, own your own content, um, you know, production companies, property, buildings, because then you get to dictate as a gatekeeper yeah. what happens, you know. So for me, that is my overarching aim okay. within also obviously working with other people and broadcasters and et cetera. Like I love yeah. all that, but... I, I, you know, I want to own my own brand. I want to um, come on platforms of other people, you know, in my community that own their own platforms. Like I'll, I'll always back that yeah. because I think for a long time through history, that just hasn't been our portion. And now it's, you know, we got <laughs> we got to build our own yeah, tables and, do. you know, cut our own cake, you know. And um, I think that will definitely continue to evolve uh the world really you know i yeah. think i think we forget how powerful we are as a as a consumer as a um you know a, as a people in terms of every facet of life so we can really capitalize and the people that have done it you know like beyonce like jay-z like yeah. these people like they started out with a talent like we did yeah. and uh, and they just capitalized and they got to a point where they said no we're going i'm going to own this now and now i dictate to you how this how this works so i generally that's my kind of north star mm -hmm. and everything that i try to do i try to incorporate that idea into it in terms of like you know from a black perspective in the community um you know there's always this narrative that you know we can only be successful in sports and media and obviously something that we're trying to do here at Subby Wallet is we're trying to change that, mm -hmm. you know, that black people can actually be more successful in other aspects. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's why I like your podcast, because it stood out to me um, as something different and something that's really important um, and unique in terms of speaking to the black community in an area that typically we don't really speak about or we're not seen as successful within Um I don't think there's anything wrong with our success in sports, media, fashion, music, but I think that the world is constructed that way deliberately. And it's really important that we can break through in other areas that 
run the world. So again, ownership, finance, um, business, um, debt finance, um, production, um, all of these things I think typically have been um, owned and managed yeah. by, you know, other, you know, other people um, yeah. other than black people. So, and we have to be conscious when we are creating content to not, to, to feed into that. So, so whether it's Savvy Wallet, you know, there's other podcasts, Earn Your Leisure, I mentioned, you know, I love those guys for, they're very focused and specific. You won't hear them breaking into talking about how many kids Nick Cannon's got. Yeah. Like, it's not important. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's his business. Good luck to him. But, you know, they stri stay strictly to finance and they bring bring guests on yeah. who then talk about that. And that gives nuggets of information for you to go, oh, do you know what? I never thought of it like that. Let me do this. And so a lot of the podcasts often um, are very pop culture and, and that's fine. Yeah. But I think we need to think about, okay, cool. What have I got from that? Uh, you know, other than what the, the the sort of world expects to hear from us, you know? Um, yeah. I'm not saying that light entertainment's not important. It mm -hmm. is. I, I listen to, you yeah. know, loads of stuff that really doesn't help my life and I enjoy it. But I'm conscious about, okay, rather than putting on Beyonce Renaissance, I'm going to listen to Earn Your Leisure or Savvy Wallet or... You know, I'm going to listen to, I listen to a podcast about football finance yeah. um, and, wow, and really, yeah, um, a guy called Kieran Maguire is like the leading lecturer in football finance and oh. he, he breaks a lot down about, um, he breaks a lot down about like financial decisions in clubs mm -hmm. and accounts in clubs and it, it helps me as a pundit because it yeah. allows me to kind of see things a different way and, you know, so I listen to those things okay. and again, it just, it's just a, areas that I think we should really attack yeah yeah definitely 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 agree I think you know we need to definitely change that that yeah. narrative for sure for sure because again I think and you're you're starting to see like for instance my career is in technology I feel like technology tech about, as well no for sure definitely I, a lot of opportunities there tech is you know tech runs the world yeah um and so again you know whether it's fintech or you know more traditional technology or renewable energy or you know sustainability these things might feel a bit dry and a, yeah. and a bit boring but they're the future and we need to be part of that future yeah um so we you know we can't just be a consumer we we need to be owners and producers of that future so you know um and i think we're in really good hands with the next generation like yeah. they're far more creative um you know phones now have allowed us to be more creative i mean i remember not having a phone you know, and I'm only 35, you know, so I, I still think I'm young, mm. but I, I remember not having a phone, yeah. you know, things have moved on dramatically since then. You can produce so many things from just having two iPhones. Yeah. And, you know, so I do think that like the next generations, like if you want to call it Gen Z or whatever, mm. um, they're very creative and very kind of ambitious. Um, but we just have to be conscious that like, are we playing into the safety of like music and yeah. fashion and and all of those things or are we you know moving into more kind of new areas yeah. uh for us as uh black people and people of color okay wow amazing are you planning do you think you'll plan anything i know we, we, we spoke about africa a little bit is there any plans maybe you don't want to reveal them but is there any plans for like nigeria 
to to do a similar thing there oh of course yeah I mean always like you know I whether it's football specific or or, or otherwise Africa is like you know a big part of a lot of what I think about as I said you know I'm passionate about really changing the perception of Africa or doing my bit to change the perception of Africa in every way, like business, production, you know, fashion. And I think that's happened, you know, Africa to the world is a thing, you know, whether it's in music, fashion, um, you know, fintech, I think is an area now, like you'll be shocked at how much you've got some real talented, like people producing data and, you know, fintech apps and all this kind of stuff. Um, I work with a brand called Chipper mm-hmm. and they're a money exchange, um, money exchange brand out of Silicon Valley, African owners. Really? You know, Egyptian guys, okay. um, Egyptian and Ugandan. Amazing product. Um, and that sparked others to to do the same in Africa, you right. know. So okay. Africa is always central to my psyche and and what I want to do and it's just hard though because some of these narratives stick, you know. Oh, you know, you can't invest in Africa because it's corrupt and, you know, logistically it's unsafe and and it's very hard to shift some of these rooted negative analogies about yeah. Africa and a lot of the time, so there's no smoke without fire. But we can change that, but yeah. we have to actively kind of make steps to change it. So, you know, whether it's consciously being like, okay, how do I use an African resource and produce something in Africa so that I can say, yeah. okay, you know, th- these are all conscious decisions that I think we can all make yeah. when we travel to Africa or we, you know, when we're consuming whatever we're consuming. Yeah. You mentioned that you work with a payment company. That's interesting. That's it. That's, that's Yeah. That's Chipper, Chipper, check them out. Yeah. Um, so I'm an ambassador for them. And okay. um, I was just like, I was just like, you know, really impressed with, we were very aligned because again they were talking about people in diaspora they were talking about you know people from africa who would you know who were in diaspora who've gone on and done well who send money back home and so very much aligned with kind of you know what i'm what is important to me and again there were silicon valley guys you know jeff bezos is invested in in their company um so they're you know they're really inspiring guys um and like even things like you know, I hope one day we'll have African owners in the Premier League. You know, like might happen. <laughs> I mean, they were talking about Dangote years ago. Years ago, yeah. yeah. I mean, we got enough billionaires in Africa. There, there's way. Uh, <laughs> I just don't. I just don't know whether, um, you know, owners or people, people, billionaires in Africa would see yeah. football as a healthy investment. Mm. Um, but I think if you look at like Liverpool, for example, Liverpool, the American owners, I think is FSW. They bought Liverpool in 2010 for 300 million. Mm-hmm. They're going to sell it for about 4 billion. Wow. I, I'm not going to sit here and, and do the maths on, on the Just profit, but, that's, but that's, a, that's a nice wow. profit, right? Wow. So you got to stay in it mm. for... And obviously you've got to manage the club well. I think what they've done really well of like bringing an amazing coach like Jurgen Klopp, you know, obviously they've won, um, you know, the Premier League, Champions League within that FA Cup. They've won everything they need to win within that. But you kind of got to stick it out for a long period to then see the value of the club increase. So, you know, I I think Dangote probably 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know Dangote. But I'm assuming that it was probably a thing where he, you know, maybe felt he was going to lose money, whatever. Yeah. But clubs are selling qu- much quicker than they ever have done. Why do you think that is? What's, what's I, going on? I don't on? know. I think it, a lot of it's mismanagement. Okay. Um, Some of it is mismanagement. So like Derby, I did a game recently on Derby and that was an aspect I talked about at the top of the show was like Derby previous last year were facing liquidation. Okay. You know, mm. Derby's an old club mm. and it was really just financial mismanagement. Yeah. And like there's all sorts of financial fair play rules mm. and they, they broke them. Um, But somebody comes in, a local mm. businessman comes in, buys the club. Now Derby are pushing for promotion. So that, cha- that owns, that changes mm. ownership. Abramovich, you know, Chelsea had to sell because of what, you know, obviously the Russia war stuff. Mm changes hands that was probably a little bit unexpected but there's lots of going concerns and 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 sort of business problems in football that mean that like you can and obviously owners are are looking to make a profit Mm. so once they feel that like okay they've taken the club to as far as it can go Mm. depending on how long they've stayed in it and what the club have done and sort of what players they've got etc you're more likely to make a profit over a period of time because mm. clubs appreciate and broadcasting's come into it and all of these things. So, um, yeah, I I find it really fascinating. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Do you feel do you, do you think there will ever be a black owned UK black owned Premier League club ever by somebody in the UK? I'm black putting one. it out there. <laughs> okay, I'm putting it out there into the universe. Yeah. Of course, why not? I'm I'm saying why not. I've just not seen like not evidence, but well, I think if you ask the same question maybe 20 years ago, would there ever be an Arab owner? Would there ever be a Russian owner? Would there ever be like there's so many American owners? Like I think, I think a lot of this also reflects what's happening in the world. You know, if you go into Bayswater or Mayfair, you know, a lot of it is owned by. Arabs or it's owned by you know different nationalities of wealthy very wealthy people obviously there's been a lot of investment from you know Saudi Arabia or Qatar um so I don't see why not yeah but China there was a lot of Chinese investment at, at one point uh five ten years ago a lot of Chinese owners pulled out but yeah. um I, I don't see why not that can't be an evolution of because it's a fact there is a lot of billionaires yeah. in Africa. Yeah. I was I was just thinking of this question. Why is it that footballers don't become agents or set up like an agent business? Because I feel like they would have potentially better connections. Not allowed. Not allowed. Mm-hmm. Even if you're even if you're an ex. Yeah. So hey. if you're oh so if when you're an you're, ex you can. Okay. As an ex-footballer, yes, you okay. you can. So someone like Rio Ferdinand owns his own agency okay, and does really well from that. that. Yeah. Um, and and you know Rio will use his all of his experience and leadership and and pass that on to the young kids. So that that's amazing. Um, but he, you know he had to retire. But as a player, you can't be sort of part of any yeah. agency because there's a conflict of interest. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure why really. Okay. Um, ponder. I think there's probably more than you think. Yeah, I think probably there's probably is. more probably former players more. than you think that yeah. they might not shout about it, but mm. they are involved in, you know, players and um, you know, movement movement of players and advising players. Yeah. So you um you were pundit at uh, the last World Cup, 2022. 
all 2021 now. I think, I think there was <laughs> a COVID year. It's 2022 because <laughs> yeah. I remember there was one year where it was weird, strange, right? What was the atmosphere like for you? I mean, whilst you were out there, because there was a lot of commentary around it, mm-hmm. you know, negative yeah. headlines around it. And um, a lot of people that were out there were getting sort of stick stick around it but for you from your perspective what was the atmosphere like yeah from my perspective like look I had a an amazing time like you know I feel a lot of privilege you know working for ITV working for Fox obviously the American broadcaster you know we stay in nice hotels we our studio nice car nice hotel so I'm not going to sit here and be like it was awful mm. like it was a privilege it really was and I think you saw how great the World Cup was. Um, I think going into the World Cup, obviously I had to really sit with myself and be like, how do I feel about some of these issues around, you know, treatment of women and, you know, homophobia and all of these things that were coming up. Now, the reality is, is that I always come from a position of balance because those issues aren't specific to Qatar. And I said this on air, like you can you can go on ITV and see it, me saying it, but they're not actually specific to Qatar. Yeah. You know, I spent a year in America last year and every other week, kids are getting gunned down. Yep. Most, you know, a lot of states just about, you know, approved um, abortion. There's still issues around gay marriage, you know. So, and that's where the next World Cup is, ironically, right? Exactly. But because it's not an Arab yeah. state... Yeah. People don't really want to talk about that. And people go, it's what about it? No, it's it these are world issues that everybody now wants to zoom in on Qatar and say it's a yeah. Qatar issue. It's not a Qatar issue. It's a it's a general issue that, you know, whether you're a Premier League where there's players that don't want to come out because they're scared of what the fans are gonna shout on the terraces. So for me, like I just appreciated my privilege um and acknowledged the world issues that are going on in Qatar. Qatar is a much younger country than America, but America's still struggling with it. Yeah. So who are we to be like, ah, oh, you know, but in saying that, um, you know, there were some people that towards the end, particularly for us women, like you could see the mask kind of coming down, like some of the security kind of treated people, you know, in a certain way and tr- treated women in a certain way, which I didn't like. And, you know, I think there was probably a real desire from Qatar to show the best face. Yeah. But we're human beings, right? Like, you know, people are going to, wherever you go in the world, whatever the stereotype may be, something's going to confirm that bias. Yeah. Right. So whether you're, you know, people go, oh, don't go to Nigeria because it's unsafe. The littlest thing you'll go, oh my God, yeah. it's unsafe, it's you know, true. because yeah. your mind's already, yeah. do you know what I mean? So, it, again, it's not specific to Qatar. It's it's just the way the world is. Nowhere is perfect. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever been to anywhere where you're like. Bali was pretty perfect. But, <laughs> Bali's good. Yeah, yeah Bali's Bali good. is like pretty Bali. perfect. Bali, I was a zen the whole time. <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so so for me, I didn't really stress myself about. Oh, you know, you, the the hypocrisy of it because. It was about just being balanced and yeah. saying like, well, I travel a lot and see a lot of of good and bad things. And this is just another place. And it was an amazing World Cup. Yeah. I, I really like, I think it's probably arguably the best World Cup we've seen mm. in terms of 
you know, big teams getting knocked out and, you know, Morocco getting to the semi-final for the first time, an African team, Messi winning the World Cup, yeah. you know, the storylines. So for me as a, as a pundit, as a broadcaster, it was amazing. And shout out to ITV, man. Like, I love them. Yeah. You know, I love, I love all the, the pundits that we worked with, all the presenters. Like, we had really had a family vibe going on behind the scenes. Like, every night was, was a good laugh. And so... It was an amazing experience, I, I have to say. Wow, and whoever doesn't like that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry, right? I wanted to understand, actually, you know, on the back end of things, is when you get these opportunities, right? And I guess I'm trying to paint the picture for people who, it's not just football, whatever industry they get into, how they get these opportunities. Is it people reaching out to you because it's of your profile? And then, and then obviously you're doing similar things that you've done in before. Was it you sort of say, okay, I'm interested in doing this. Can we? Yeah, a bit of both, yeah. really. Okay. A bit of both. Um, I think, you know, as a pundit, yeah. you obviously have sort of a portfolio of work that, yeah. you know, I've been a pundit since 2014. Um, I was the first female footballer to appear on Match of the Day too. And, yeah. and you know, that went well and different shows came off the back of that. That's kind of how it works. Okay. Um and there's a lot of movement in in broadcasting. So a producer might work on one show and works on another broadcaster. Yeah. So you get to build relationships and you know. So a lot of it is kind of incidental to your relationship, but you you, you have to do well. Yeah. You can't go on and just talk rubbish and then expect to, you know, to expect to get called on a show. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, well, you're a tick box. You know, you're, a, you're ticking the box. And it's like, well... <laughs> If that's the case, you can get any black woman off the street and just sit there. Mm. I have to go on this show and still talk sense and give an opinion. So um, for me, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't take for granted the fact that you have to perform like you did when uh, you played, you know, and you have to, you know, offer an opinion. You have to, you know, work with other people and, and stuff like that. So it is about performance. It's about relationships. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the best people are quite strategic. They'll say no to this because it doesn't really align with who they are. Like, for example, I've had calls to do like content for betting companies. Mm, okay. There's no amount of money you're going to offer me yeah. that's going to align me to do that because I've already sort of created a profile that doesn't really align with that. Now, that's not me saying that if somebody else wants to do that, they're bad. I'm just saying that's not me. Do you know what I mean? So you you almost have to figure out as well yeah. what's right for you. You can't do everything. Um, so that's very much kind of how I've approached it. Like, wh what do I want to represent? What do I want to be? What kind of programs do I you know want to be on? What kind of pundit do I want to be? Um, and I'm always evolving within that. Yeah. Um, and now I think we live in a world where there's lots of content creation, like just, you know, people that, you know, you didn't know today and tomorrow they've blown up, you know, there's a lot of that. So I'm trying TikTok. I'm trying. Are you? Okay. Yeah, man. But I find TikTok hard work. A little it is. Bit. It's, it's hard it's work. It's a bit, man. yeah. You got to get. I had to ask easy. them. So I, I actually <laughs> sat down with TikTok and was like, how do I do this? Like, this is long. You know, this is when I started feeling old at this point. Um, <laughs> And there's just so much, like it's overwhelming. Yeah, um, yeah. But on TikTok, I just try and show like a different side of myself, like behind the scenes, if I'm like 
working as a pundit, what does behind the scenes look like? Yeah. Or if I go to like a shirt, fashion show, whatever. So, yeah. you know, that, that always all feeds into uh, to what you're doing. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. It's always nice to hear what the behind the scenes are and yeah. how you leverage your network. And again, it's still hard work. Like you, like you were saying, I wanted to know, like, how did you, for you, like, how did you feel when you, I know you started it obviously whilst you were, you were still doing football, but how did you feel doing it? Did you feel like it was a transition for you at all? Was it like, did it come natural to you? What, punditry? Yeah. Did you have to like practice, practice on it? Uh, no, I mean, I, um, just as a skill set, like I've always felt quite comfortable sitting and chatting to yeah. somebody or I've always felt like I've had an opinion on football or I've studied the game, I watched the game tactically or whatever and enjoy watching football. Um, so in terms of those basic skill sets I've always had, I think opportunity came where when I was in the England team, I probably used to be put forward to do all the interviews that other people didn't want to okay. do. And so the media got to know me a lot quicker and I think appreciated the fact that I was always willing to kind of have a chat with them. And so I built probably relationships in the media a lot quicker than other players. And so those opportunities then came people said oh why don't you come on our show and you know can we do a 10 minute interview on my show and I was always like yeah, yeah. and never got paid for it but it was like fine I'm, I'm happy in front of the camera and I'll chat to you and and I think that helped that that became something that grew bigger and bigger yeah that's amazing you then became at some point sporting director for Angel CFC, but I was in the States and then you yeah. decided to leave that. What's the, I guess, what's the plan next at that point? Yeah. So, yeah. So Angel City was really quite a unique opportunity. Like I, I would never have thought I would get, you know, a, an opportunity like that. Um, Kind of out of the blue, really. Well, not out of the blue. And again, this is a point about relationships. So one of the owners of Angel City he used to work as a well he does work as an advisor for fox okay wow. i worked for fox at the world cup 2019 world cup and we got on really well we you know we chatted off off camera and and stuff and he obviously became one of the investors of angel city so when they were talking about a director football sporting director role he put my name forward and contacted me and said would you you know would you be interested in interviewing so um Initially, I said no, because I was very busy at Aston Villa and I felt that women's football in England was really going to kick off. And it turned out it did. You know, they won the Euros a year later. Um, but they were quite persistent. They came back and said, no, we really, we really, really want you. Um, and some of the names that were associated were Serena Williams, wow. you know, Alexis Ohani and her husband, you know, some some names that Billie Jean King, like legends that yeah. I've you know, kind of grown up admiring. So it was one of those things like, if I don't do this, it's, I'm probably going to regret it. Um, and it was an opportunity to really build something from scratch, uh, build a football club from scratch, which yeah. really doesn't exist other than in, in the States. Um, you, you can't do that in England really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so that's how that came up. And um there was a little bit of reluctance because I played in America and, and some of the rules around like trading and, 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 you know, players are very much a commodity mm. in the sense that you don't really have much power. You're very much owned by a club. And if they want to trade you at the drop of a hat, they can trade you. So the contracts aren't really worth the paper they're written on. If you sign a contract of two years in America, 
they can trade you a day after you signed it and there's nothing you can do. Um, so I, I fundamentally didn't agree with that and that I didn't like that as a player. So I went to America thinking, can I change this? Can I actually change some of these rules as a, as a sporting director? And a little bit, I changed it in terms of like, I said to the players in the first year, unless you come to me and say, I want to leave, we're not going to trade you. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a cultural piece because players, I felt like. If players don't feel secure in where they are, they're not going to give you their best on the pitch, yeah. right? Because you've got to allow people to fail and not think, oh my God, I had a bad training session, they're going to trade me. Because um, that's how I felt. Um, so little things like that I was quite proud of, but the grand scheme of things, the ecosystem was just very different to England. And it's very hard when you just don't fundamentally agree with how things are, are done. And... Um, so, so for me, it, but it, it wasn't a, a deep thing. Like I was like, I was very proud of building a team from scratch, but I was like, you know, I think moving forward, um, this isn't for me, <laughs> basically. I understand. And I came back to, I came back to England and, you know, I missed London a lot. LA wasn't really my vibe. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah. Like a lot of people say that to me, like, you didn't like LA. It's kind of everything that you were about. And I was like, no, like. I think I'm very British. <laughs> I felt very British in LA. Like I missed like the tea culture and like, yeah. I missed like walking by a river and like getting a coffee and conversations were very transactional in the States. That's what I heard in LA. I feel like here, like people do small talk very yeah. well and it's annoying sometimes, but actually it's like respectful, you know? So there's so many things that I was just a bit like, I'm not sure I like this. Um, but yeah, you know, in life you've got to try things and yeah. if it doesn't work out, you come home and you, you 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 do what, you try and move as close as possible to doing what you love. Yeah. And um, I love broadcasting. I love where my life is now, where I can kind of try and create things that um, mean a lot to me or represent something and hopefully inspire other people to do the same. Yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. That's, yeah, I understand leaving America for, for that, especially. Have you spent much time community. in America? Have you, have I haven't been? been, haven't been since. I I don't want to say America because yeah, I actually really love Atlanta. Like yeah. Atlanta is a city that is amazing. Mm. Like it's it's a bit of me. I like Atlanta a lot for many reasons: the history, the food. There's a, there's deep culture there. And lots of sort of successful black entrepreneurship and and investment. So I don't want to say America. Yeah, but <laughs> I think for the most part, like my experience as a player. It was just very like stormy. Yeah. And um LA, I think I spent all my time in a car. Um yeah. so yeah, it was for uh, look, yeah. for some people they like that, but yeah. for me it, it wasn't for me. Yeah, that's no, that's definitely not for me. Uh I haven't been to America <laughs> since whew, I was sixteen. So that was almost like seventeen, seventeen. Okay. It's, it's okay. been a while. It's probably changed since then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's changed. We've had, had a whole we've had Obama, we've had Trump since then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never been to LA. There's been a few changes. A lot of changes. I've only <laughs> been to Florida, never been to LA. I wanted to potentially go to LA and Atlanta, so it's gonna happen. Definitely go to Atlanta. Yeah. I think you'd like Atlanta. Yeah, I think it, I think it's in line with. There's a lot of this going on in Atlanta. Exactly, exactly. I wanted to ask uh, this question. Um, so, in terms of because you you managed to achieve, in my opinion, what you set out to. So you wanted to become a footballer. You went to the highest level. For anybody wanting to achieve sort of what they want to achieve, what kind of tips would you have for them? To be able to achieve it? I know it's a very open question. Um, there. 
like without sounding too kind of samey, there's no getting away from hard work, um, dedication. Um, I think that the most amount of joy and gratitude that I feel is doing something you love and being paid for it. I think when you when you when you can get to that place, it actually doesn't feel like work and you probably have to rein yourself in because you're working too much. I find myself sometimes studying a team at 4 a.m. in the morning and I'm loving life. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a bit weird, but yeah. that's my passion. That's my passion point. And the next day I'll get on TV and I'll talk about that team and you know, that's my job, you know, as a broadcaster, for example. Whatever that is for you, I think that that, you know, that that's a kind of way of really enjoying what you do and, and, and you know, fulfillment. And I would always say that you, you know, once you get into that space where you're getting paid to do what you love, yeah. you actually end up, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you probably end up earning more. Um, because you're good at what you love to do um it's kind of hard to explain but there's so many people that make decisions about what they do based on money but they hate what they do yeah. and it's so sad because you know eventually you 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 kind of gonna end up giving up on that job anyway because you hate it so much the money is not going to be enough for you so that's what I, and it's it's easier said than done. You know, not everybody can, you know, do something they love to do. But I think that if you move towards that, or the alternative is work-life balance, have a really healthy work-life balance. So now we live in a world where you can work from home, maybe one day a week or two days a week. In that one day or two days a week when you're working from home, take time out to do something that really feeds your soul. Yeah. Um, because you'll be surprised how much energy that then gives you to do the job that you don't love, but you kind of need to do it, you know? So for the longest time, I think we, you know, we, we don't really think about our own self-care and our own, the things that really feed our energy to then do what we do. Yeah. Um, that's what I would, you know, that's what I would definitely, I think I know so many people mm. in the broadcasting space that really love what they do. Yeah. And I see it on their faces yeah. and I see their energy and, and, and it's something that I'm like, I wish like more people could experience this. Um, I, I tell my younger siblings all the time, like, okay, you know, you're young and you're doing this job now. And you, you might not love it, but this will help you figure out what you want to do. So keep moving towards that, you know, and um, obviously keep working hard and, and learning and don't be afraid of failing and, because um, that's all part of it so yeah that would probably be like whatever that that's a north star for me yeah amazing amazing thank you so much any you're welcome what, what do you have planned next for yourself oh there's a lot there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot that i um i've shared it all man like, have I've you shared you. it all yeah, okay you. okay you been listening okay i have been listening <laughs> is there more <laughs> yeah everything i've said all yeah. the above um is next for me i'm going to continue obviously broadcasting and you know, site other projects that I'm I'm enjoying. You know, some content shows, lots. So watch this space. Looking forward to that. And where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram. Um, any Aluko on Instagram. Although I have very strict controls, so okay. um, 
be nice. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me on TikTok. My name is Any. Are you okay? Are you okay, Any? Like that? Which is a nod to Michael Jackson's. You know that song, Any? Yeah, are you okay? Yeah. So for the longest time, I thought Michael Jackson was actually talking about me. <laughs> Like my mom never told me like no, but so I you yeah. know so it's um it does sound like that actually it does he's, he's saying any. yeah, yeah he's yeah, saying yeah. any but yeah 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 um yeah. <laughs> so yeah so that's where you can find me although like don't don't um don't kind of come for me because I've I find TikTok stressful but I've just discovered the lip syncing function on TikTok I've discovered how to do it and I'm a big Bridgerton fan yeah. And so you might see a little bit of a play on Bridgerton soon, like if if I'm if I'm feeling in a fun mood. Okay. Um, and there's yeah, I'm off Twitter, which I hope burns and 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 fails. Um, I'm really putting that into the universe. Yeah. I hope Twitter burns. <laughs> you really dislike it? Yeah, like what what is it good for? It's, it's a hell. It's hell on earth. What else? <laughs> When I saw, talk about bad investments, when I saw Elon Musk, I saw yeah. something recently. Mm. Elon Musk is trying to sp spend three billion to save Twitter. I'm thinking, I wouldn't even pay a pound, bro. <laughs> like, what kind of... <laughs> Do you know how disgustingly yeah. awful and racist and yeah. negative it's and it's negative. horrible. It's very negative. And it's getting progressively... Like, people go on Twitter... And the worst version of themselves come out because yeah. that's the energy that's created from oh, the platform. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like, this isn't good. Like, if you kind of replicate that into real life, yeah. imagine going somewhere every day and every time you, you're in that place or you come out of that place, you just feel angry yeah. and negative and you get abuse hurled at you yeah. and, and people then pile on on that abuse. You would leave the place. Yeah, you would. Yeah. yeah. Or you'd yeah, ask the police, can you please shut down this place? Yeah. Yeah. So why are we sitting here like, oh, yeah, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Yeah, like, it's not. look, you get that on Instagram, but I think the controls are better on Instagram. Much, much better. And you can control kind of what you see because in the real world, you will get good and bad stuff. But I think there's a lot to be said for like, shut the thing down. <laughs> like, don't. Spend three billion Elon Musk, please. Like, just shut it down. Yeah, be done with it. It is a negative. It is a negative platform. I probably spend the least time on there. I think I spend the most time probably Instagram, TikTok. I know a lot of people who have come off Twitter and literally like for mental health reasons. Yeah. Like they can't. It's not humanly okay. No. Like it's not okay. And I feel quite passionately about it. <laughs> um, I'm I'm praying. Like I'm praying to God yeah. that the whole thing crumbles. It is, it is, it is, it is nasty. It is nasty. I have, I've got to be honest. That's an it. understatement. It is, yeah. Like, I mean, look, uh, for me as a pundit, obviously I've probably, I've probably, but like the worst form of abuse. Yeah. Like, and it, it's not something I, it's, it's, I've learned to not lose sleep over it. Yeah. But like, is that normal? Is it normal to be like, oh, you know, this is kind of like par for the course like racism and sexism and misogyny is like it's just what you get on twitter like wh how did we get there like this is not yeah. okay yeah and like it's not okay that young people like contemplate life because they're being cyberbullied mm. because a platform what yeah. for what yeah. <laughs> like, 
It's true. I, I yeah, like don't get me started on Twitter. I'm praying <laughs> that it's it's done. Soon. Okay, now it makes sense why I couldn't find you on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm okay. not. So you ain't gonna find me on Twitter. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm not. I'm not really active. active it is deactivated. <laughs> done. It's done, funny finished. because it's been it's been deactivated since. I think October. I was off it for 18 months yeah. and then I got back on it during the World Cup because as a pundit, you kind of want to, you know, you kind of want to live tweet yeah. during games and stuff because it's kind of aids some of the conversations that you have. Mm. Um, but it's not terrible if you don't. Um, so I came off it and <laughs> I recently, I recently went back on it for literally 10 seconds to post a picture um, so the, it was the picture of Elon, the, the 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 post of Elon Musk wants to save Twitter for three billion, <laughs> and I tweeted and said, "I wouldn't pay a pound, let it burn." <laughs> so I put it on it, and um, I mean, it was a little bit of. Uh, I wanted that to be my last tweet yeah. ever. I wanted okay. that to be my last tweet. Like wow. this thing needs to be let go. Why are you trying to save this? Yeah, humanity doesn't need it. No, no, no. No, I think it's it's definitely a platform that it is negative. It is negative. It's probably it's the darkest form, definitely. I mean, look, there's an argument to say like if Twitter didn't exist, something yeah. else will pop up where people can express their hatred because that's yeah. what it is. There's a lot of unhappy, hateful people mm. who use Twitter as an outlet mm. for their own, you know, for their own release, but. A new version would have to would 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 have would learn from Twitter yeah. and have better controls, you know, so that ultimately, like, you just don't see that stuff if you don't want to see that stuff. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, do you have any final words for the listeners and watching? No, 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 no. Just uh, obviously keep going with what you're doing. I, I think um, obviously Savvy Wallet's a a great platform to Thank talk you. about. Um, important things you know like finance and um you know i've watched your your podcast a few times and i'm like yeah do you know what i I like that because again some of these sort of areas are a little bit untouched or unspoken and i think the more that we can normalize these conversations around like money and finance and saving and money exchange within our community then the more we're going to keep growing um as a unit so yeah those are my final Final words, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eddie. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing behind the scenes as well and what of you're course. doing in business and what you're doing in investing. It's very interesting. Chess piece, I've never heard of that before. Listen, um, I don't I don't really know if there's a market because I haven't sold it. You might have created one. Yet, but <laughs> I think I think because there's so much um the history yeah. in terms of chess, uh there they, there's a there's a value to to that kind of art yeah. um or i just keep them yeah <laughs> amazing amazing yeah no i think i'm gonna look into that i'm definitely gonna look yeah into that. why not i might have given you a little gem <laughs> yeah you may have and the listeners and watchers listeners watchers i hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the take up experience and yeah we'll see you next week's episode
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 